0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: There is always opportunity in a crisis, but it depends on your mindset, it depends on your actions, and it depends on your ideas.
3: When was it that fashion really became important from a business perspective to you?
2: Tim had this show which basically showed fashion not just as runways, but as this industry that had all of these different types of people who made the industry tick. And even when I was eight years old watching that show, there was something about it that fascinated me. But I never considered that as an option for me as a career.
3: How do you? manage within yourself now being part of the institution that you always wanted to be up against the glass on.
2: I don't ever want to lose my memories or experiences of exclusion in my past because they've defined the point of view that I've developed and they also remind me that other people also feel excluded. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. This week, we're turning the tables, or shall I say, the tables were turned on me. As part of a special BOF live event with Istituto Marangoni, I had the pleasure of talking to Sinead Burke about the origins of the business of fashion and some of my reflections on the state of the fashion industry now as we grapple with the ongoing coronavirus crisis. So here's Sinead Burke talking with me, about the business of fashion.
3: It is such a treat to be welcoming you to this conversation. I am so genuinely very honored to be participating in this conversation with Imran. And when he asked me to facilitate a narration of his life, I kind of thought he texts the wrong person. Our story began about three years ago, digitally. So it's lovely in many ways that we're returning to this. I got a phone call from Imran. He said that he had just seen my TED talk about designing and including everybody within the process. The first question he asked me was, do you have any interest in fashion? It was a question that I think he has since regretted asking because the phone call didn't take 10 minutes, but about two and a half hours. As I began to narrate to him that I had read the business of fashion since its very beginning and was not just intrigued, but had this insatiable appetite to learn more. So, to be able to share with him in this is a real privilege. Imran, I'm fortunate to know you through lots of different definitions, but how do you describe yourself personally and professionally?
2: Well, first of all, thank you, Sinead, for saying yes. Uh, it's true that our first ever interaction was digital, and we still stay in touch digitally, but we've gone to know each other as Personally and professionally over the years, and I'm really grateful that you accepted my invitation to host this conversation because I think you're an excellent interviewer, so I look forward to this okay. conversation um, I guess personally uh, and professionally i don't I don't see a separation between those two things you know like but since you've asked the question that way um, i'll I'll respond that way. I mean, personally, I'm um, of Indian heritage. Uh, my parents are from East Africa. Uh, my mother was born in the foothills of Mount Kilimanjaro in Moshi, Tanzania. And my father was born in Kisumu, Kenya. And four months before I was born, they moved from the middle of summer in East Africa to the middle of winter in in Canada to the foothills of different mountains, the Rocky Mountains in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I grew up in quite an idyllic, wonderful place, Calgary at the time, and still is in some ways as a small city, but it was a safe, happy, sometimes cold place to grow up. Um, And I grew up nurtured by my parents and they brought me up in Indian culture with speaking Indian languages at home but I was always Canadian first. And so although I have this heritage of being Indian and East African, you know, I grew up thinking of myself and identifying as a Canadian. Uh, more recently, well, 20 years ago, I moved to the UK and um, I didn't realize it then, but this place, this country would soon become my home. Uh, and I've now lived here pretty much for the last 20 years. Um, and so, being British is also part of my identity on a personal level. Professionally, when I have to fill out that little card when I'm able to travel, uh, <laughs> not, not able to travel, but when I'm entering certain countries and they ask my profession, um, like you, there's so many different things that can describe the work that I do. But I guess, in, in one word, I describe myself as an entrepreneur. And being an entrepreneur means you are someone who builds things. You build off of ideas, um, you build teams and and you build businesses and organizations. And so being an entrepreneur has become kind of the driving force of my professional life now. But there's so many things that that includes. That includes um, being an editor, Uh, That includes uh, being a a speaker and a orator, um, someone who likes to convey his ideas uh, to large groups of people uh, through my writing or through my speaking. But it also means uh, someone who's trying to, um, you know, connect with my purpose and, you know, find. And that's been a long, long journey um, that's brought me to to being able to do all of these things. And I guess that's going to be part of what we talk about today, I think is finding, finding your purpose. So that's kind of an extended answer to the way I would describe myself.
3: I'm, I'm intrigued. You know, when I was a child, the only thing that I wanted to be and do when I was older was I wanted to be a teacher. And I think I said it from my very first day of school all the way through. And I did, I was a teacher and my career has taken a path that I couldn't have predicted probably because back then the job that I'm doing now didn't exist. But being an entrepreneur has such modern lexicon to it. When you were a kid and somebody asked you what you wanted to do, what did you say?
2: Oh, it depended on when you asked me. (laughs) So my dad said the first thing I ever said I wanted to be was a garbage man. Um, Very useful in these times, a key worker. I'm not sure why. but over the years, I want, you know, I was trained in the performing arts. So there was a moment in my life when I, I thought of myself as someone having an acting career. I spent a lot of time on stage growing up in choirs and musical theater and drama and public speaking. Um, and then I also, in, in the early days, I was already attracted to entrepreneurship. I, I was part of this uh, organization called Junior Achievement, where you set up a company I think I was probably 15 years old, and you sell shares in the company for right. like, at the time it was five Canadian dollars each. And the first company I ever ran, um, we made uh, Christmas gifts, which were jars filled with candy, which we decorated and and tied with ribbons and wrapped up in a in a department store in Calgary. Um, and I did junior achievement for many years, so I've always had a lot of different interests. And ultimately, when I was trying to decide what to study in university, I decided I wanted to study business because I was really interested in business. And partially because um, I couldn't find anything else that would enable me to think about all of the things that I was interested in. So I, 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 I used my kind of first degree as a way of just exploring the world through the lens of business.
3: I think so much of what we're going to talk about today is our shared experience of feeling like outsiders in a domain and in an industry, and a world that we desperately wanted to be part of. But just going back to in terms of how you were brought up in Calgary and having a a different heritage and a different wealth of experience and insight from home, between school and growing up, were you code switching between almost different languages due to what your parents wanted to, to expose you to and what? everything else was around you
2: yeah you know i I can look back now and can understand that i had to switch codes Mm -hmm. um or switch avatars depending on the context i was in so there was an, an an indian community that i grew up in or grew up with in calgary and when i was with that community Everyone else was like me. Our parents were immigrants to Canada. They had grown up in East Africa, usually. They ate the same food. They spoke the same languages. They shared the same values. And so when I was with them, there was a certain part of me that felt very comfortable. And when I was at school, you know, uh, in, in elementary school and in junior high school, there, there was really nobody else like me you know there was not and not just in terms of my you know religious background or ethnicity but also just in terms of my physicality I'd, uh, I'd always been the smallest person in the room i would always been the person who was put either right at the end of that high that school photo or right in the center um, and I've I have no
3: idea what that experience is like, Imran. I've yeah, mean, I'm,
2: I'm sure, I'm sure you can relate. And so, you know, I think looking back now, it wasn't something I realized then. But looking back now, I can understand that having to switch between those different worlds um, was something that I became very adept at, and I had to switch off certain parts of myself to fit in to some. Air, worlds that were different, and yeah. switch on, switch off other parts of myself to fit into other worlds. And then, as I grew up, I started participating in musical theatre and the performing arts, and that was a whole different group of people.
3: But I think it's a haven for people like you and me. You know, I describe myself as an extroverted introvert. I think the world has made me be an extrovert. I think I grew up with the very clear understanding that due to being disabled and being a little person, that I was the center of attention. And that was without my consent. People would look at me. They would be curious about me. And I remember being very young, having to make the decision whether this was something I would embrace or if this was something that I would shy away from. And I think that is what allows me to be in public spaces, to take on... The role of communicating things that don't just affect me but in broader communities and i imagine it's the same for you that it was what became initially a defense mechanism was in turn the making of me and my career but i'm never more happy than almost in solitary confinement spending time just in the safety of myself or my loved ones and managing the duality of that is a challenge but i think the various parts of my identity have made me be that person but i want to skip on a little bit in terms of moving on to coming out of school having studied business having understood the way in which business could be a lens to view the entire world when was it that fashion really became important from a business perspective to you well
2: that was really early on actually and um i i I was first i mean in calgary I don't know if anyone today is joining us from Calgary, but Calgary is not a city that has, you know, a fashion culture. At least it didn't back then when I grew up there. I guess the world is different now and we're much more connected and people have more exposure to things that might not exist physically proximate to where they are. But back then, you know, my only channel towards fashion was this gentleman named Tim Blanks and he had a television show in Canada that would come on every Saturday and Tim i mean m- many of you probably know Tim and I now work together I have the honor of working with him but he was my kind of fashion hero growing up and I, he had this show called Fashion File on the CBC which is Canada's version of the BBC the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and Tim had this show which basically showed fashion not just as runways, but as this cast of characters and people in this industry that had all of these different types of people who made the industry tick. And even when I was eight years old watching that show, there was something about it that fascinated me. But I never considered that as an option for me as a career because it was so far away, it was so distant. And there was nothing like BOF back then. There was nothing, there was no internet. You know, there was no one I could talk to who actually worked in that industry. And so the only window I had was 30 minutes every week. And it would be Tim in Milan or Tim in Dusseldorf (laughs) or Tim in Paris or Tim in Toronto or New York talking to people who animated this industry.
3: What was going on in your head the first time you met Tim in person?
2: I was so nervous. I remember it was it was at a party, and I had just started um, meeting people in the fashion industry. And I think the first three times I met Tim, he never remembered he met <laughs> me before. And I told him the same story every time, which is, I grew up watching you on TV, and now that we work together, I understand why he doesn't remember because. When we're together at Fashion Week, so many people come up to him say, and say, I grew up watching you on TV, so um, I know I'm not the only... He
3: does the polite nod, and he's like, lovely, and who are exactly. you?
2: Exactly. So to answer your original question, the first time I got the sense of this world of fashion was through Tim and his show.
3: And it seemed not quickly, but in terms of you know, moving from McKinsey, which you worked and did extraordinary work in, and then creating what was a blog and in a sense of BOF. you know, when you were starting out, did you have any definition for what success might look like, or when did that begin to fluctuate?
2: You know, when I left McKinsey, I left um, having learned a lot. Uh, it's an incredible place that people are so smart and global and talented but i was walking into mckinsey every day feeling pretty sad you know pretty unfulfilled and i had worked so hard uh, my whole career to that stage i'd gone to very good schools i'd worked very very hard and i ticked off all the boxes you know I, i figured out my master plan for success and happiness But I was feeling deeply unfulfilled. And I realized after uh, a, a meditation retreat, I took. You know, McKinsey very kindly gave me a sabbatical, and I did this 10 day intense silent meditation where I did not speak or read or listen to music or have any interaction with any human being. And I came back from that retreat and I realized that I had been defining success differently than perhaps um, what I needed to be thinking about in order to find that sense of happiness. So when, when you ask the question, like, how did I know what, what BOF, If it like, how was it going to be a success? Or like, how was I, gonna, I wasn't even thinking in that way. I was just thinking about how do I connect with things and people and places and environments that inspired me? And I found that in the fashion industry, it was very, very hard in the early days to get access to it.
3: Yeah. And
2: for most of the time, I was pressed up on, a, like, on, the, on the window, just kind of looking in. Um, but as I started engaging with people and as I started noting down some of my thoughts and ideas on this blog, literally on my sofa, um, I began to feel Um, engaged by it because people started responding. And it was that, I think the first moment I knew that there was something special in BOF, not that it was going to be a business necessarily, but that it was something that people connected with was when I started getting comments and feedback. And, you know, you have to remember, Sinead, this is before Instagram, before Twitter and Facebook were major platforms, like blogs were the first form of social media. Mm And in the same way now that, you know, an influencer uh, can kind of emerge from Instagram because people start engaging with their content. Blogs were basically the same thing, except you didn't do it on your phone, really. You did it on a, a computer. And it wasn't as fast or what, and it wasn't as ubiquitous. But I started getting comments and they came from all over the world. They came from Korea and France and Spain and Canada and Australia. And I realized there were all these other people in the world who were also interested in this thing called the business of fashion. And that's when I first knew there was this community of people out there who were like me, many of them weren't even working in fashion. They were just interested in it. They'd seen the industry from the outside, but they wanted to understand more about how it worked on the inside.
4: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot,
1: Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
4: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
3: But I think that's so much of my learning too. I mean, my career began starting a blog and never realizing that it would become anything. I felt as a disabled person, explicitly excluded from fashion. I didn't think that exclusion was malicious. But when I would go to a store and not be able to reach anything, or if I would look at a campaign or a magazine, the lack of representation felt like an understanding or a quantification of my validity. And my experience was so unique and individual that it was really eye-opening and surprising to me that other people felt excluded from fashion too. Because I felt like, well, if people, you know, swing the pendulum closer to the world's definition of normality, how could they also feel excluded? And the idea of the internet being a catalyst and a tool by which that institution could be not only challenged, but offer an invitation to different types of voices. And I think we are both in a privileged position where we now are part of that institution. Mm -hmm. And in terms of purpose and working with purpose, one of the things that I'm always really guided by is how can this be about more than me? How can I ensure that that cycle of exclusion is not something I'm participating in? How can I share the space in which I occupy? I imagine that goes through your head too. How do you work within that? How do you manage within yourself now being part of the institution that you always wanted to be up against the glass on?
2: Yeah, so I I think that's a really important question and I want to answer it. Uh, thoughtfully, um, when you've had experiences of exclusion in your own life, they um, they stay with you. Uh, they don't leave and they are imprinted in your identity. They're imprinted in the way you see things and I don't ever want to lose my memories or um, experiences of exclusion in my past because they define me in a way. They've defined the point of view that I've developed. And they also remind me that other people also feel excluded. So now that BOF is a platform that has the eyes and ears of the industry, it's, it's become very important to me and my team, that we use that platform for other people as well. So when we first invited you, Sinead, to Voices, which is, um, you know, I'll never forget the impact that you had on our community at Voices that year. Um, And probably most of them had not heard of you at that stage yet. You know, Mm -hmm. your TED talk had millions of views, um, but the fashion industry was largely you know, I don't want to use the word ignorant, but just maybe not aware of the experiences of someone like you. And so, you know, to answer your question, how do I, you know, balance the um, perspective that now I'm on the inside? How can I keep opening the circle? And that's by offering this platform um, to other people. And I think, you know, having a platform like this comes with great responsibility. You know, and it comes with um, an opportunity to provide a platform, but also to spark conversations and bring people together who might not ever have met. And that's that's a lot the way I think about what we do at BOF, even events like this. So we, this is a digital event. And our team has, in true BOF fashion, pivoted our physical event strategy to a digital event strategy. Just in the Mm -hmm. last couple of weeks, we've reached over 100,000 people. And after today's talk, we'll we'll reach thousands more. You know, the, the ability of the internet and a real sense of purpose about opening, informing, and connecting the global fashion industry, you take those two things together and you take a moment like this where we're forced to innovate and find ways of staying true to our mission, that's when really magical things happen. That's, you know, the fact that in such a short period of time, we've reached a hundred thousand people and they've all participated in talks like the one that you and I are having here today. That's that, that's, that still fires me up, you know, and that, that sense of yeah. continuing to push the envelope in what we can do uh, and how we do it. Um, even in times like this, where we're challenged and the world is difficult and, You know, it's really, really hard right now as an entrepreneur. Um, That's what keeps me going. That sense of purpose.
3: I couldn't agree more. You know, for me, I'm always trying to make sure of balancing that progress, whatever progress that you've been able to execute for it. And then ensuring that it's not just rooted in, in ego or vanity and actually if it's just about you, then not necessarily where is the legacy, but where is the progress for the people behind you? So I ask myself four questions. When I think about doing something, it has to say yes to more than one of these questions. So it is, is this part of my list of goals and objectives that I've always wanted to achieve? Does this pay the rent? Does this give back? And does this bring other people with me? And everything that I do has to answer yes to more than one of those questions. And that's a very loose compass that I use to help guide me because I think you're exactly right. I think regardless of the number of followers you have and that being often a menial metric, occupying spaces like this is a responsibility, but also an enormous privilege. And it has to be about more than us. I'm conscious that you mentioned there the time in which we are in. I am in my family home. I don't know if you heard the smoke alarm for dinner just going a few moments ago. We're all working from home and it's a I new just reality. just
2: beeping, so it could have been that too.
3: Our lives are very glamorous, <laughs> very glamorous. But there are students watching this or entrepreneurs watching this who are nervous or fearful or anxious. And maybe they're concerned because their graduate collections will not be presented in the way in which they've always imagined. Or they're worried that the industry taking on the rhetoric of diversity and inclusion up to now will no longer be a priority because we need to focus on profitability for the next quarter. I think there is so much uncertainty and you and I can't predict the world that we're going to be living in. But I think everybody needs just something to help guide them in this moment and not to place that responsibility on you. But I am. What? Do you think would be useful to hear?
2: So I can only speak from my own experience, and um, as someone with a further on in his life, um, with a few crises under my belt, um, I do have some thoughts to share on this, and I'm glad you asked that question. So you know, back when I was in business school um, I had applied to business school. The economy was on fire, and uh, shortly after I was accepted, the dot-com bubble burst. And you know I got to, to business school, and there were no jobs. And it was terrible. And you know, business school is expensive, and I um, was taking on a significant financial burden in order to, to pursue higher education. And then one year into my course, um, two planes flew into the World Trade Center. And I'll never forget that day because I was living in Boston. So one of the planes left from Boston. And it just felt like the whole world was falling apart. And on top of that, I'm Muslim. And there was a whole layer of identity crisis in that trying to make sense of how people could do that in the name of my religion and it was terrible and you know not only were there no jobs you know there was this terrible terrorist act you know thousands of people were killed and i just knew that day i knew that day that the world would be different afterwards but looking back on that moment now the world certainly did change and things passed and with time people healed and we found new ways of working and new ways of operating in the world and yes some of those things are uncomfortable and we have much um, more stringent security checks and we have unfortunately to deal with you know islamophobia and challenges around Acceptance of people who have different religious practices, but the world moved on and we progressed and then In 2008 one year after I founded BOF on my couch and it was still just me the world fell apart again and this time it was the global financial crisis and the stock markets you know dropped into historical lows and everyone was freaking out um it seemed like the entire financial system might collapse and for weeks on end nobody knew if we were going to get through it we got through it and i look back now and this is what i've been talking to my team a lot about in the past few weeks is that there is always opportunity in a crisis but it depends on your mindset it depends on your actions and it depends on your ideas. And when we're living in moments of turmoil and difficulty and pain, as we're living through right now, where there's a humanitarian crisis, first and foremost, there's an economic crisis, um, and then there's increasingly a social crisis because everyone's isolated. You know, people are craving human connection um, it's going to be really difficult but what i encourage everyone to remember is that with the right mindset with the right actions and with the right ideas you too can make it through it like bof was actually forged and it found its real sense of purpose in that moment of crisis back in 2008 and so now that we're back in a moment like that again what we've been talking about internally at BOF is what's the opportunity for us in this crisis. And you may have noticed how the team has just flourished into this uh, stream of new ideas, of article formats, of a live blog, of, of these digital events, of new commercial ideas, because our whole team has been trying to operate under this mindset that we can find a way to make our business work in this context that same mindset that same creativity that those same ideas they can also apply to individuals so for anyone who's at school right now who's struggling and finding this really hard to navigate you know i hear you i see you i i empathize with you because you know i i I've, I've been through similar experiences in my life but i want you to know that it gets better and through this moment of difficulty use this opportunity to take on the right mindset about what's happening but also educate yourself use the opportunities and the extra time you have on your hands to do some online learning you know there's 674 people watching right now clearly they've already got an idea that this is an opportunity to learn and be part of conversations. There's so much activity happening online right now. There's so many opportunities to connect with people uh, out out there, sometimes people you know, sometimes people you don't know. There there are opportunities to make the best of what is a very, very difficult situation. And by the way, that's not to diminish that for some people, this is even harder because they're unwell, or their families are unwell, or their loved ones are unwell. And I, you know, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that there is this you know, terrible humanitarian crisis. Um, but at the same time, um, we will heal. And as a, as a global community, as a fashion community, we will get through this.
3: I think that is what so many people needed to hear. To speak from my own point of view, I think the one thing that I really would love people to be more cognizant of is the learnings that we have had during this moment you know for such a long time the disabled community has asked for greater flexibility about working from home perhaps because office spaces are inaccessible or it's just easier to work within the spaces that they're most comfortable there's been a lot of kind of defensiveness in relation to this approach and understanding that work can only exist within one format within one way what we've learned in this moment is that's just not true We can be flexible, but what we need is the opportunity by which to do so, an opportunity that caters for the majority. And so much of what we're experiencing right now has really underlined all of the learnings that I've experienced about inclusivity being at the core. And I think going forward, we can't look at inclusion as something which is no longer cost-effective, but actually we need everybody to participate in, in business, in the world, in society. And I think if you're a student watching this, you can feel powerless. You can feel like there is nothing you can do. I think your ideas of educating yourself, becoming more equipped with a new skill is really important. I think it's also essential to balance that. We all feel this necessity to be productive. I mean, I myself have started growing tomatoes why that is essential during this era as somebody who has never grown anything before i do not know but i feel a calling to to make myself useful and this is a traumatic time people are dying people are unwell and it is okay to take a deep breath and a pause if that is what you need and require but i also think this is an important time to realize that we do have power whether that's in terms of who we vote for the policies that we're seeing enacted around the world to ensure that there is fairness and that people are being treated and get the healthcare that they require and need during this time. I think we often underestimate what it is that we can do and taking this moment to have a sense of the power that we all have, and with that comes a privilege, is what I'm really focusing on during this era. And Imran, I want to ask you one more question before we go out to these amazing students. You wake up in the morning, as Imran the entrepreneur what's the monologue that's in your head
2: that's a good question um it really depends on the day (laughs) I tend to wake up very early in the morning um I like getting up early because I like quiet to to set an intention for the day um that intention is different some days like some days you know even in the past few weeks I've like many people have felt anxiety. Um, Other days I'm feeling super energized and creative because this current experience brings me back to those early days when I was working from home, writing BOF. So there's so many different emotions that we wake up with every day, but I think I just try to check in with myself every morning and just figure out, well, how am I feeling today? I don't have a monologue per se that's repeating on repeat. That monologue is changing from day to day to day depending on how I'm feeling.
3: I think if I had to have a monologue for this difficult time, it's reminding myself that I'm okay. And if I was okay yesterday, I'll be okay today. And if I'm okay today, it's more than likely I'll be okay tomorrow and just reminding myself that I'm enough and valid, exactly as I am. And those are all of the questions that we have time for today. Imran, I'll hand over to you to say goodbye.
2: Well, first, I just want to thank you, Sinead. Uh, That was a really enjoyable conversation for me personally. I wish we could keep going. Uh, So thank you for your time and for putting such thought and um, careful preparation to the way you approach the conversation, I expected nothing less. Um, I want to thank Instituto Marangoni for hosting this conversation and to all of you for joining. I just want to echo uh, uh, one final point of view here, which is, you know, I know everyone's feeling quite anxious and uncertain right now, but I really believe that there is a um, a better and different and changed fashion industry awaiting us. It's just our opportunity now to go create it. So I'm counting on all of you with all of your ideas um, to be part of that change. You have the opportunity and the privilege and the platforms to do so. And so please you know, share your ideas, use this opportunity to think about how you can invent and create a better fashion industry. Uh, Thank you for joining us for BOF Live. Thanks again, Sinead. Thank you. And um, I guess that's all. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis Regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, biannual special print editions, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.
5: You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store, but did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Go to shopify.com slash B-O-F to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash B-O-F.
4: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
0: target.